This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to fight for free air once again. To the one and only CR Podcast, this is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in the house on Thursday. And we have a lot of ground to cover and so little time. This is worse than a science fiction movie. What is happening to us, the creation of this virus, the creation of the cures which are really worse than the ailment that they also created. The blocking of anything that will help. Are they repeating this cycle again with more ailments? We're going to have pretty breaking news today on some issues. It's not so much breaking in that um, it happened right now, although some of the events happened the last couple of days. But the information I'm going to provide to you, a lot of you enjoyed last night. I was proud to be part of that broadcast. Glenn Beck had a two-hour presentation on the cover-up of the creation of the virus. Um, and then Steve Days, myself, and Dr. Ryan Cole, um, we had another uh, hour and 15-minute presentation uh, on that. So we really dived into it, and I encourage all of you guys, if you have not done this already, definitely subscribe to Blaze TV. I'm telling you, we are the only ones that are willing to tackle this as a major network. The other ones are all bought out. Um, we're doubling down on this, and I was very proud of our team putting this together. And heck, you know, I think we need to do this a little bit more often. But that's what it is. It's the Documents for Crimes or Cover-Up Blaze TV special. And folks, again, you really need to sign up. You really need to sign up, get your subscription today. Now, today's sponsor is We the People Holsters. As you well know, the Second Amendment is pretty much the only right we have left, especially in red states. Um, but what good is a gun if you can't carry it properly? In order to carry it properly, you need a solid EDC tactical gun belt as well as a holster. Um, it's got to be secure and it's got to be versatile that you could properly draw it from your hip, um, inside the waistband, outside the waistband. We, the people holsters for just 40 bucks, starting at just 40 bucks, very cheap for the quality. They provide American made holsters. Um, they pretty much have every model that fits your holster. Every holster and gun belt come with a lifetime guarantee. If it's not perfect, send it back for a full refund. Again, we, the people holsters.com slash CR. Get 10 bucks off with offer code CR so you can get it down to you know in the 30s, which is phenomenal. We the peopleholsters.com slash CR is the website. Okay, so there's a lot going on. Just wanna before we get to the main course, wanna clear the deck that the Florida legislature um passed legislation mandating exemptions. Um, the Florida governor is signing that today. It's not perfect, but you know what? In Idaho, we couldn't get anything. The Senate there. 28 to 7 Republican majority blocked everything. This is unbelievable. And we can't, this, this is Idaho, Wyoming, North Dakota, 
We can't get anything passed. We can't get Republicans to fight the crime of the century. And that is why every single one of them in a primary, whether it's dog catcher, whether it's county position, whether it's state legislature, governor, up to Congress, every Republican, unless they have affirmatively stood on this issue, which is very few of them, they need to be voted out. Um, We need to recruit. And look, if you have to have a write-in, do a write-in. They cannot be voted for. I don't care where they are on any other issue. And you're going to see why I am so frantic about this issue. Um, Again, before we get into just some of what we're talking about, I just want to say that my, my concern is coming true. I was concerned that the Fifth Circuit, the courts, would put an injunction on it. And, and Republicans love that because it's a Band-Aid that doesn't even cover 1% of the wound, and they get to wash their hands of it. And I think that's why some of the pressure is ebbing from the legislatures to act and from the governors to act. Because the reality is that if you understand the, the magnitude of what they've done in the culture, in the business, and the lack of informed consent, they de facto have a mandate even if they don't. So they could ease off of it, and most of the businesses will do it anyway. Okay? That's the reality. Absent action from state legislatures and governors. So most people aren't going to see relief from the court. Um, It's just like, oh, if they want to, they don't have to. And then again, even if they got rid of all the men, even if they like somehow a court put an injunction and said a business is not allowed to mandate it, okay? Just the magnitude of what we have incurred from COVID fascism already, and as we will talk about, will incur from future pandemics that they are now creating, is so devastating that it still is a drop in the bucket. In other words, it doesn't account for the fact even if you got rid of all the mandates, what we have allowed them to do until now is create, again, a culture where the majority of people are doing it willingly. They're signing up their kids. They're getting third, fourth, and fifth shots. And, you know, I was just at the pharmacy, and it used to be empty anytime I'd go during the day. I mean, there's a whole line up there. Based on fascism, collusion, funding, cover-up mandates until now, absolving them of liability even for willful misconduct. The amount of deaths from the vaccine, the amount of deaths from the virus that they created and the virus that they blocked treatment, the blocking of treatment juxtaposed to the remdesivir and the stuff they're using. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if even if we got a full injunction on the ability of a private business to willingly do it, which they're not doing, and they never will do such a thing. Even that would only be a small potatoes relative to what's on our plate and what we need these state legislatures to deal with. But that's my fear. They're going to use this, oh, OSHA got rid of the mandate. Oh, it's over. It ain't over. It's just begun. It has just begun. And just the, the viral immune escape, you know, there's already a talk about in England. Bloomberg has this out. Alarm grows as more as more. Oh, no, this is a different article I was going to read to you later. Um, A more infectious new version of COVID-19's Delta variant is spreading fast in the UK already accounts for 12 percent of samples. And we've seen this with several other variants in Europe. If the vaccine ever worked, which is not clear, it certainly won't work against these things. 
And the vaccine is not just not working. It's creating the viral immune escape. This is the problem. It's not cost-free. That's what I'm telling you. It's not just that it doesn't work and causes individual harm. It's while it doesn't work and leaks, it causes viral immune escape and makes the virus worse on all of us who haven't gotten the virus already. Or perhaps is it going to become so bad that it's going to escape natural immunity? Who knows? If it ever does, it will certainly be because of what they did by design. Because remember, as we talked about last night, why would people want to block treatment? Why would they want to deny natural immunity? Why would they want to erase natural immunity? Well, if these are the same people who created the virus, why would they want to solve it? Because what they're trying to solve is not the virus. The virus is the cure. What they're trying to solve is our freedom and autonomy and even right to live. That is solved by creating an illness. So you're certainly not going to want to mitigate the illness because the illness is their tool. You're going to want to perpetuate it. You're not even going to want to solve it, as we said, with something that is expensive and they get a lot of money off of. They'll get money through the process. But what's even better is getting money through something that doesn't work and actually makes the virus worse. Because then they suck you into this never-ending problem. So this is where we are. Um, so it's, it's, th th this is truly, truly very scary what is going on. I want to read to you something very interesting here. Very, very interesting that a lot of people don't know. So you know how we were starting to use the whole chicken vaccine business, the Marek's disease, leaky chicken vaccine. There was a 2015 professor of biology at Penn State University, Andrew Reed, R-E-E-D. He did a study on this, and we've been quoting from it. And the punchline of his study was, our data show that anti-disease vaccines that do not prevent transmission can create conditions that promote the emergence of pathogen strains that cause more severe disease. So what they learned from Marek's disease is, all things equal, it's fine to have a therapeutic that doesn't stop transmission, but ameliorates some of the worst symptoms. That's, that's great. That's a therapeutic, and we're all for that. But the problem is, what if your therapeutic A causes terrible individual side effects, but B, and this is the point of his research, is it's not a free show. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not a half a loaf. Okay, I get a half a loaf instead of a full loaf. I get no serious illness, but I didn't get the transmission, uh, you know, blocking transmission. No, it's a double-edged sword. If you don't block the transmission, then it's a Trojan horse, and the virus is going to gobble up those suboptimal antibodies, and then it's going to become more virulent. A similar dynamic that we always understood with half-baked antibiotics, which has always been a concern, basic biology. So what happened was around July, August is when people like myself started quoting Andrew Reid's study because that's exactly what we started to see in the South of the United States. They're like, wait a minute, this thing is worse than it's ever been. That's not normal. Plus, it's extremely transmissible, meaning one of the points that Reed made was that typically they're mutually exclusive. If it's very virulent, it's not transmissible. If it's very transmissible, it's not very virulent, like a cold. But one thing that, that the Merrick's disease showed is that a leaky vaccine could make something transmissible and virulent at the same time, which is basically what we're seeing to some extent in some places now. So 
about a month after I started using it, Joe Rogan referenced it. So now what happens now is every, anything that our side references and starts focusing from you know their own research, they then get they either retract it, they modify it, they update it, they put a note on it, or they'll march out the um, author of that thing from the past to denounce us and say we're you know you misusing their research. But as we pointed out before, when they've done this before, they actually talk in circles and prove our point. This is bone chilling. This is from Forbes magazine. I'm, this was in August. I missed it. But no one, no one I know have talked about this. They were commenting on Joe Rogan. And they got Andrew Reed, R-E-D, to comment on this. And he said, Rogan is wrong. Listen to this. We're talking a very different virus and a very different vaccine. The details in biology really matter a lot. The chicken vaccines we worked with, the first-generation vaccine, definitely reduced disease, severity, and death. But unlike unlike the COVID mRNA vaccines, the chicken vaccine didn't stop transmission at all. And this is one of the key differences between what was being studied in Reed's paper and our current situation with the global pandemic. Those vaccinated chickens just kept churning out the virus for weeks and weeks and weeks. Again, this is a key difference. It's a very different virus and from SARS-2. A key issue here is transmissibility. More transmission increases the likelihood of mutation. Thankfully, COVID-19 vaccines reduce transmission and reduce opportunity for mutation. Now, that was a stupid statement already in August. We had the evidence. But folks, three months later, this thing is churning and churning and churning. And we proved from every country in Europe and America, more transmission than ever before, more death than ever before in many places. That's undeniable. But Forbes will never revisit that assertion. He, he is making our case. He's like, yeah, you know, that was Merrick's chickens. That, that was because it didn't stop transmission. But these vaccines stop transmission. Oops. If anything, these are leakier than the failed Merrick's chicken, disease, chicken vaccine. Much leakier. And in fact, they're not even working. Those things work for severe illness. Here, 82% of those dying in Great Britain, the only country with real good data, are fully vaccinated. It's even leakier. It's an even starker example of the danger of viral immune escape from a leaky vaccine. He is busted. Busted. Forbes is never going to revisit that. He is completely busted. His own research shows that they are killing us with an enhanced virus from a bioweapon fake vaccine. Now, folks, our next sponsor is Seven Cells Telehealth Pharmacy in Florida. You know, last night, I mentioned on Steve's special broadcast, the one good thing that came out of this that the other side has not realized and I don't think they saw coming. And it's going to be very important for us in the next pathogens that they're creating to throw against us is that we have our own gain-of-function research that we've obtained. It's in the form of amazing patriots like Peter McCullough, Richard Urso, Pierre Corey, Paul Merrick, Ryan Cole. I, I could go on and on, and I, I shouldn't have started mentioning because I need to really mention about 50, 60 people that have been so instrumental so I don't want to you know leave anyone out 
Patriot doctors that researched, not just in America, but across the world, what works, what works against this. And they discovered things that had a lot of promise, not just for COVID, but for other things. And certainly just raising your vitamin D levels is good for any virus known to man um, that so many people have benefited that have prepared ourselves. One of the ways to prepare yourselves is getting ivermectin and nitazoxanide from 7cells.com. Now, as of this broadcast, the, the ivermectin page only, not the nitazoxanide page, is down. I know a lot of people, people have been asking me. They actually have a cyber attack against it, and they're working on that. It should be up tomorrow again. But um, you can order, again, 0.2 milligram to your weight per keg of your weight. So these are not the 3 milligram Eden Bridge pills. These are potentially up to 28 milligrams you can get. Um, so a lot of bang for your buck. 20% off with offer code um, Daniel. Um, nitazoxanide, there is so much research behind it being broad spectrum for many viruses, including SARS, MERS, coronavirus colds, um, influenza, RSV, hepatitis C. Uh, so, so these are good drugs to have on hand. I mean, I'm not pushing you guys, and look, it is, it is money, but until now, I said anyone who hasn't had the virus should get this. Even if you had the virus, I wonder just, and, and you're going to see why for the next thing I'm going to talk about. Um, so again, go to 7cells.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-C-E-L-L-S dot com. Um, offer code Daniel. Uh, they, they do not ship to seven states uh, like Michigan, Oregon, Arkansas, South Carolina, Nebraska, a few others but they do prescribe to all 50 states. So if you're in one of those states, what you're going to have to do is find a friend, relative, anyone you know in an adjacent state or anywhere that they could ship quickly to you. Uh, or if you have a P.O. box in another state, it could be shipped there. So your shipping address has to be one of the 43 states they ship to. They are working on those other seven states and you know, just indulged your, your patience. So why is this important? Why is this so important? So we talked a little bit last night about the timeline of research. And basically what we found from the coronavirus thing is a pattern. For two decades, a, a web of American researchers and American pharmaceuticals working with Chinese labs and researchers coming in with the Wuhan lab working with NIH in this whole web, working with the Gates Foundation and the vaccine cartel, have been obsessively working on numerous things, but particularly coronavirus. And they were obsessed with the gain-of-function research to get coronaviruses to infect humans from bats pan you know, and to create a pandemic right, the gain-of-function research, they were obsessively developing coronavirus vaccines while they were doing this. And they obsessively and bizarrely and openly, but we most of us didn't listen, warned about the coming of a pandemic. And, th and that latter point is very important because, see, until now you could say, okay, they funded it, they worked with the Chinese, but in their mind, as culpable and as criminally negligent as they are, but it's not worse than that. In their mind, they thought they were just trying to get ahead of it, as dangerous and as bad as that was, and they shouldn't have been doing it, but they were doing it to get ahead of future pandemics. And it was the Chinese that, on their own volition, 
broke their part of the deal and released it sometime last, you know, in 2019. The problem with that is it doesn't account for numerous statements that they made that they clearly warned about it. How would they know there was a coming pandemic? Right? If they were just working on a vaccine and it was the Chinese that released it. But the reality is here is just a smattering of what we know. There's pro- there's earlier dates here and I'm going to truncate this. You know, because we don't have enough time today. March 1997 is the first known paper published from Ralph Barrick and several other of his merry band of fellow travelers in the Journal of Virology. So you could go March 1997, Ralph Barrick, Journal of Virology, crossing a mouse coronavirus to a hamster. That was his first gain-of-function research that we know of. We know in December 2008, Barrick is, was part of a group of researchers this is at pnas.org, published there that worked on injecting bat coronaviruses into humans and into mice and along with human lung cells in the mice, right? So that was the way they could tell, is it going to work on humans eventually? Okay? So we know that. That's what they were screwing around with. We know in... January 2010, Bill Gates announced what he called a decade of vaccines coming. We know in September 2013, Barrick announced on a press re- in a press release that he was awarded $10 million to study the pathogenic activity of viruses, including severe acute respiratory syndrome, SARS, and MERS. Okay? And then obviously we all know about the 2015... Um, where he announced that he cracked the code, right? This was um, in November 2015. That's where he published in Nature Magazine the famous gain-of-function research that we now trace back, and NIH admits to have been funding through EcoHealth, Peter Daszak's outlet, um, but Ralph Barrick at um, at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, uh, working with this Professor Xi from China, at the Wuhan lab, where they published their discovery, they cracked the code, they successfully transferred coronavirus from bats into mice with human lung tissue, and it now ha- is able to be a pathogenic and create an epidemic. Okay, and, and they admit openly that they funded it, this was their letter last month to the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, and that they indeed did engage in um, a funding that led to making a bat coronavirus become more infectious to humans. They blamed EcoHealth for lying to them, and they called the breakthrough research, quote, an unexpected result, end quote. We know in 2012, already a year before they funded the gain-of-function research, and long after Barrick had been working with NIH and all the players and Gates in developing gain-of-function research, NIH partnered with Moderna, an obscure startup company, to create mRNA vaccines for coronaviruses. So again, you have it right there, all all of the, all of the sphere right there. And just if you note the 1997 timeline, it really does make us wonder if the 2003 SARS one was also manipulated. And there's strong evidence to that. There's strong evidence. We don't know for sure, but you know, if I'm a betting man, 
we had coronavirus colds around. We never had pandemic SARS coronavirus. So now that we know SARS-2 was created, is it really likely that SARS-1 wasn't created either because it came from the same place? So, you know, they claim there is some discovery in human nature. It's unclear. It's beyond the scope of my research at this point. Some of you might know more about that than I do, and I'm sure you do. But that's besides the point. Okay? Now, we know they were working on vaccines. We know that in April 2012, around the same time that NIH partnered with Moderna, and by the way, to this day, there's a New York Times article just from last week, uh, NIH is fighting with Moderna over the patent rights. So, I mean, but you see, that's how great the partnership is. April 2012, there's a prestigious biology journal called PLOS One, P-L-O-S One Journal. There's an article on SARS vaccines in mice. SARS vaccines in mice. The vaccines led to occurrence of Th2 type immunopathology, suggesting hypersensitivity to SARS-CoV components was induced. Caution in proceeding to application of a SARS-CoV vaccine in humans is indicated. So already in 2012, they note that what they were working with basically caused immunopathology, right, autoimmune problems, right, which is what we're seeing, the suboptimal antibodies ruining your T cells, ruining your memory B cells, and it screws around with it, and also that's pathogenic. Um, a year earlier, in September 2011, um, a research fund, funded by NIAID with Barrick is one of the authors, he's always the author, when challenged with zoonotic and human chimeric SARS-CoV incorporating variant spike glycoproteins, spike, okay? The aged BALBC mouse model reproduces severe lung, uh, severe lung damage associated with human disease, including diffuse alveolar damage, hyaline membrane formation, and death thereby also providing a model for assessing vaccine-mediated protection against heterologous viruses. In other words, in plain English, Barrick basically wrote that they had, all in 2011, they had always, always been working on not, not just the gain-of-function research, but the vaccine that would work a lot like the, the, um, the pathogen. Okay, so, you know, again, it's not... It's not just, you know, a lot of people tell you, oh, they created it and the Chinese leaked it. And they were trying to get ahead and make a lot of money. No, it's, it's much more than greed and money. Because then you would create a safe and effective vaccine. So you'd end it and be like, wow, you're heroes. If you're trying to engage in genocide and control and perpetually needing their things, and you yourself leaked it and you yourself knew about it, so it couldn't just be the Chinese did it by accident without you knowing about it years in advance because you wouldn't have been talking about that. And you wouldn't have been creating and pursuing vaccines that they fail in the mice. Oh, let's go use it for humans. And as we're going to talk about, and as we have talked about, that same parallel pattern we're seeing with the therapeutics like remdesivir and molnupiravir and several others that they're using the ICU like Illumiant. That, oh, they, they have a failed you know FDA use for other things. Let's go repackage it for this precisely because it doesn't work and precisely because it's dangerous. I am sorry, but there is no way to escape this dark conclusion. 2015, there was a, um, you know, this Australian reporter reports that there is a document. Uh, we'll get into this another time, but the Chinese discussed using coronavirus as a bioweapon. Th that was around the same time that 
Barrick announced the breakthrough in the gain-of-function research in November of that year. Um, and th there's many, many other things to this timeline. Peter Bregan, his book, um, darn, what's what's his book? It's uh, The Predators of COVID-19 and It's Predators, We Are the Prey. Uh, it's available on Amazon. He, he does a phenomenal job of piecing this together. Okay. And now you take this, I, I want to give you another, just a couple of other creepy things in this timeline. You go to January 10th, 2017. Peter Bregan does a good job piecing this together. That week was a pivotal week. If you notice, that's the last week of the Obama administration. That's when they're working with Trump officials, uh, the incoming transition team. Three things happened within three days. January 10th, Fauci delivers a speech at Georgetown University. You could Google this. January 10th, 2017, uh, Fauci speech, Georgetown uh, University, conference on pandemic preparedness in the next administration. He warned that there is, quote, definitely, unquote, going to be another pandemic. He ended his speech, if you start around 3825, so his speech is about 40 minutes, very end of the speech. Just go to the end of the speech, 3825 minute marker. You'll see the video if you Google it on their website, still there. He warned, he, he's warning, quote, the administration that is going to come in in the next few days, unquote, basically is going to have to deal with a pandemic. He lists Zika, several concerns, and he boldly predicted what is for sure that no matter what history, no, no matter what, history has told us definitively, definitively that it will happen. He closed his speech by saying the following, the thing we are extraordinarily confident, this is a direct quote, we are extraordinarily confident about is that we will see this in the next few years. Okay. Next few years. Now, so th this is January 10, 2017. We know that SARS-CoV-2 officially was announced December 2019. We we know what definitively Glenn, Glenn Beck talked about it last night. I mean, you guys know about this. It was definitively around in the few months before during the war games and the you know Bill Gates conferences, September, October. Um, and you know, many believe it was really circulating in some form you know, for several years before they had already been releasing it in some form in some areas that exposed some other Chinese and possibly other Asian countries. This is something that Ethical Skeptic, if you Google his blog, brilliant guy, has been talking about for a while um, about his theory, and there's a lot of evidence to that. But again, we don't need to even talk about that yet at this point. So... Now, you could say a guy that his whole life is steeped in infectious diseases and always has reason to, you know, gain money from warning about all this so people will fund his research. You know, he's going to always see like doomsday. But to definitively say with extraordinarily extraordinarily confident that it absolutely will happen. You could say like, look, you know, odds are every 100 years you have something, but it will happen in this next administration. And not two-term, one-term administration. And we know at the latest, it occurred about two and a half years, two and three-quarter years after he made that proclamation. 
but but there's more. There's more. Three days later, two things happened on the same day, January 13th. There's an article that was written at the beginning of the pandemic, I think March 2020, by Lisa Monaco in Foreign Affairs. That's a magazine, Foreign Affairs. Um, she was Obama's Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor. So Lisa Monaco writes that on January 13, 2017, she led a team of counterterrorism folks that basically engaged in a germ war game exercise simulation with the incoming Trump transition team. Something Trump no way knew about, obviously. Quote, and this is, this is how she described their scenario. A new virus was spreading with alarming speed, causing global transportation shortage stoppages, supply chain disruptions, and plunging stock prices. If you remember, that was the impetus for, you know, all the legislation they did. With a vaccine many months away, U.S. healthcare infrastructure was severely strained. That's what she talks about. Then on that same day that she revealed they engaged in that, three days after Fauci said definitively you're going to have an outbreak, the FDA placed a new regulation in the Federal Register, January 13th, 2017, in the event of, so basically it was designed to, quote, enhance FDA authority, unquote, to basically, you know, shepherd through policies and products expeditiously in the event of a, quote, pandemic influenza. Now, what did it do? Specifically, the regulation permits FDA to waive otherwise applicable current good manufacturing practice requirements. Example, in parentheses, storage or handling. We've been talking a lot about that with the vials. To accommodate emergency response needs and allow CDC to create and issue emergency use instructions concerning the FDA-approved conditions of use for eligible products. The medical products affected by these changes, which are referred to as medical countermeasures, include, quote, Drugs, antivirals and antidotes, biological products, vaccines, blood products, and biological therapeutics, and devices. In vitro diagnostics and personal protective equipment. There's your mask mandate. How they're able to just EUA that, violate all of OSHA's rules on it, violate their longstanding, you know, you have to fit test it, you have to have a proof. No, nothing. It's right there. Now, I could go through... I mean, Bill Gates has a track record forever the last 10, 15 years of warning about coronavirus pandemics, warning about this, warning about that. But I think what's most salient is the most recent one before the pandemic. Fast forward to October 18th, 2019. So that's officially two months before the declaration of the pandemic, but when we know it was actually circulating in one for sure at that moment. But no one else knew that. I mean, none, none of us knew that. The public didn't know that. Trump didn't know that. The Triple Crown, Gates Foundation, Johns Hopkins University, Bloomberg Medical School, and the World Economic Forum, that's Klaus Schwab, three major players, they held what many of you know now as Event 201. It's, it's, right on their, it's still on their website. Event 201, it was a simulation. They simulated, quote, this from their website, 
an outbreak of a novel zoonotic coronavirus transmitted from bats to pigs to people that eventually became officially transmissible from person to person, leading to a severe pandemic. What was the nature of the pathogen? Here's a quote. The pathogen and the disease it causes are modeled largely on SARS, but it is more transmissible in the community setting by people with mild symptoms. Now, what was the purpose of the simulation? Many things, but I'll give you one bullet point. Governments, international organizations, and business businesses should plan now for how essential corporate capabilities will be utilized during a large-scale pandemic. And as they say, folks, the rest is history. I want you to think carefully. That is a very truncated, very shortened version of the timeline of them creating the virus, creating the vaccine, creating one that they knew was problematic, um, and openly warning about it, which tells you that, that they knew it was coming and that they knew they planned to release it. Um, now, I'm not saying I know all the details of the timeline of when, what, and how they released, but at a very minimum, even if the, it was the Chinese that did it alone, they knew they were going to do that, and that was part of some sort of a plan that is very self-evident at this point. Now, I do want to say most of these documents are um, at blazetvspecial.com. That's where you could you know watch Glenn Beck's thing, but there's a three pages of links of source material. Now, they don't have all mine. I want to try to get up there. Some of mine, those are Glenn's. Um, but a lot of them there, there's more you could you could find that source material. Now, why am I talking about this today? Well, <laughs> this is important anyway. But you might have heard about smallpox. Something we never could have imagined would come back. And we're, we're, we've been talking about what is the next pandemic that they're working on because we know they are working on them. Same thing. They publicly warn about it to prepare people. They actively create it and unleash it, and then they had already created bad vaccines and bad therapeutics to exacerbate the pandemic that they created. We have all the ingredients now in smallpox right before our eyes, and they further accentuate and prove the veracity of, of many of my allegations on the treatments for COVID. So... Let's let's dive into this. Bill Gates, some of you have seen this. He announced um he announced when was this? November 4th, he was speaking to a policy exchange think tank interview. This is in the UK with the chairman of the UK's parliament uh, uh, committee on health and social select health and social select committee. Um, Jeremy Hunt. He did the interview with Jeremy Hunt. He's on. He's the chairman of the that parliamentary committee. He served in a former administration. He was the UK House Secretary for a period of time. Interviewing Bill Gates. Bill Gates says, "You say, okay, what if a bioterrorist brought smallpox to ten airports? You know, how would the world respond to that? There's naturally caused epidemics and bioterrorism caused epidemics, and could even be way worse than we experience today." And that was his point, that we need more central control, more funding, more fascism to prepare for the next one. But he throws in smallpox bioterror attack. Now, I mean, 
no one in the counterterrorism community has been warning about that this decade. Like that there's any that they're even on to that. Obviously, this was very big with the anthrax. It was a huge concern in the years immediately um, after 9-11. But we haven't heard about that recently at all. And there's no credible evidence that Al-Qaeda or Hezbollah are working on smallpox. Indeed, the terrorists, the bioterrorists, are Bill Gates, the NIH, Merck, Pfizer, Moderna, and their merry band of, of 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 characters they are the ones that's why i wanted to give you and it took me most of the show to explain it i want to give you what we already know did happen with coronavirus i would have laughed off talks of oh bill gates is just trying to scare us but no because now we know and and this is the big mistake a lot of our people made they thought it was made up like global warming no it's either made up or they're causing it. In this case, you have to take precaution because they're causing it. That's data point number one, November 4th. Fast forward to Monday night of this week, less than two weeks later. What are the chances of this happening? Yahoo News reported this. Vials labeled smallpox, which look very credible, were found in a Merck, uh, like a freezer locker in a Merck lab just outside of Philadelphia in Montgomery County, PA, in North Wales, Pennsylvania. The Merck facility, there's two in the county. This is the North Wales, PA one, according to local media, at least. The F- uh, CDC has quarantined them. The FBI is invest- investigating 15 questionable vials, 10 labeled vaccinia, and five labeled small packs. Okay, they have no further details. Merck won't say anything. Now, in case you don't know, vaccinia is basically related to the pathogen that causes smallpox and was used as the foundation to create the vaccine for smallpox. Indeed, the term vaccine, vaccinia, comes from the Latin term vaca, which means cow. So a lot of symbolism there in the discovery. Now, Merck has no innocuous explanation for this. How does Merck get caught with this? It is illegal for anyone other than the NIH and Russia, Russia's equivalent from international law and domestic law to own it. Okay, so how on earth does Merck get a hold of this? This is, I mean, right away, it is criminal. They should be criminally charged for this. This is a big deal. Now, it looks very similar to in 2014 in Bethesda. It was discovered, similar thing, labeled smallpox, and they claim they destroyed it, but that probably was smallpox. It was NIH, and NIH is allowed, for better or for worse, to hold that. Okay? That in itself is extraordinary, that within two weeks of him saying that, you would make this insane discovery Again, something that has been eradicated fully from the world in 1980, really eradicated from America, I'd say the 1950s. And obviously, um, you know, there's almost very few people alive have gotten smallpox vaccine or old enough to have gotten it. Um, and most people haven't, don't have immunity to it. 
Another point is in Maryland, a woman tests positive for monkeypox. Now, they claim she got it from Nigeria, but that's in Maryland, and that's related in the same family of viruses. But here's the punchline. People are passing this around, and I, you know, none of us noticed it at the time. June 4th, just a few months ago, CDC randomly approved a smallpox drug called Tembexa. It's Brinsidofafor is the generic. Because there have been long-standing concerns that the virus that causes smallpox, the variola virus, could be used as a bioweapon. Very interesting. So that's their line. Because again, they can't say it came from a bat or like it came, it's extinct. That's not going to fly. So the only way they could get people prepared is by saying it's a bioweapon. And it is a bioweapon, except the terrorists won't be Al-Qaeda. It will be our own government uh, corporate complex. Now, there's a lot of problems here. It is well known that no pharma company will spend hundreds of millions developing a drug for an eradicated disease for which there's no way to earn billions of profit off of. I want you to think about that for a moment, right? It's very hard to create drugs. Um, why would you, I mean, now, as we're going to talk about, it is repurposed and they already had it, but even to repurpose it costs a lot of money, just the filing for it. it you're not going to recoup the cost. Who has smallpox? Right, what are we going to say, like the bubonic plague? I mean, like, you know, it doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a drug, spend millions of dollars filing and repurposing it for... um. For, for something that doesn't exist? How would you know? And why aren't the traditional counter-terrorist agencies warning about... I mean, if, if it's that actionable intelligence that you're going to spend millions of dollars, why is it only the public health people? Bill Gates knows about it, but, you know, I don't know, Trump's former DNI, Director of National Intelligence, uh, um, uh, what's his name, um, from Texas... I'm forgetting, former congressman from Texas, Ratcliffe, John Ratcliffe. What, he didn't know about it? But there's something very eerie here. This drug follows the same pattern of what they did for COVID. It's created by a company called Chimerix, C-H-I-M-E-R-I-X. Okay? Now, there's something nuts going on here. In the June 4th memo, letter from FDA when they announced approval, this is full approval, they say blatantly they did not conduct a human trial for safety, and they relied upon what's called the animal rule, which, quote, allows findings from adequate and well-controlled animal efficacy studies to serve as the basis of an approval when it is not feasible of ethic or ethical to conduct efficacy in trials in humans. And they're saying, obviously, we don't want to start injecting people with smallpox, so we couldn't do a human trial, so we approved it without humans just relying on animal trials. Now, you might think, well, wait a minute. How could the FDA get away with approving a drug just on animals, uh, you know, based on animal studies? Well, no, there's more to it than that. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's not as crazy. The animal rule makes a lot of sense if you understand what it, what it is. Here's the animal rule. It's if you have a drug that was already approved for a primary indication. Let's say like ivermectin. 
that not only was approved, but it's been used for decades, billions of doses, and was spectacularly successful and spectacularly safe for what its indication was for those parasitic diseases. And we find, let's say, from animal studies, we actually have human studies, but animal studies, um, that it works in, seems to work very well for viral stuff. But for whatever reason, we don't feel it's feasible to do human studies, so we're going to approve it for humans. So that's the animal rule. Now, that sounds a lot less crazy, right? That makes sense. Okay, you can't do it, but you're not really relying on animals because we know at least on, you know, on the safety part, it's already safe for humans and it's already approved drug. We're just repurposing it for a secondary indication. And, you know, so on the efficacy side, we'll rely on the animals. What's the worst that can come? True, it won't be as efficacious in humans, but at least we know it's safe already. This drug that they just approved, Tembexa, has never been approved for anything else. Worse than that, Chemerix tried to get approval for its use for adenovirus, and it bombed out three times. It failed three phase three trials that proved to be ineffective and unsafe. It has, an, you guessed it, it has an FDA black box warning. Well, it doesn't have it from previously because it was never approved. But now for smallpox, you could look up Google, um, you know, uh, Tembexa, T-E-M-B-E-X-A, FDA label. Just Google and you'll see there's a black box warning. An increased incidence of mortality was seen in Tembexa-treated subjects compared to placebo-treated subjects in a 24-week clinical trial when Tembexa was evaluated in another disease because they didn't evaluate in this. So they only authorized two doses. Now, we all understand, like, any drug, if you, you know, binge it, like aspirin or Tylenol, you could, it could become toxic. But after more than two to three doses already they found, it caused excess mortality, which is why it was never approved. And they go and approve it for smallpox. Based on animal studies, when it was never previously approved in humans for another indication, and the reason it wasn't is because it was so unsafe. So it's not like we don't have human studies. It's worse than that. We actually do have it, and it's definitively proven unsafe. So notice, just like with remdesivir, just like with the shots, years of research for coronavirus um, vaccines, they're proven unsafe, unsafe and ineffective, and that's exactly why they want to use it. You can't escape that. This is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Think about it. They block... The epitome of what you would repurpose is something like nidazoxanide and ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. So safe, broad mechanism of action, very effective, you would repurpose it. This is expensive, on patent, doesn't work, FDA black box warnings, kidney and, and liver failure in remdesivir, doesn't work at all, killed people in Ebola, had to be taken out of the study because it was killing so many people. Then the other two things they approved for um, for COVID, right? The other two things are baricitinib, baricitinib, that's Olumiant, 
That is a black black box warning for blood clots. And tofacitinib. I forgot the brand name of it. It starts with an A. You could look it up. T-O-F-A-C-I-T-I-N-I-B. That has a black box warning for just causing diseases, causing infections. Oh. These are FDA, every single approved drug for hospital use, there's no outpatient use, doesn't work and has an FDA black box warning. Although remdesivir doesn't officially have an FDA black box warning because it's the EUA, but it's worse than that. It doesn't have any approval and it, it definitively causes renal failure. So it's it's like worse than an FDA black, black box warning. This is in plain sight while they block things that work. But not just anything that works. Ivermectin stands as the antithesis of these things. They're cheap, available, billions of doses already used, already fully approved for its other indication, fully safe, fully effective. That is the candidate that you would use for repurposed drugs. They're, and they're like, we don't like repurposed drugs. We only want stuff made just specially by Big Pharma for this. Here's the sick irony. All of these drugs are repurposed. Okay? Remdesivir. Tofacitinib. Barcetinib. Damn, I can't pronounce this stuff. Illumiant. And now Molnipiravir from Merck. Do you, with this background, are you going to trust Merck's drug, Molnipiravir? Is there, that was a horse drug, literally a horse drug, repurposed. They're all repurposed. They're like, we don't like repurposed drugs. They don't like repurposed drugs that were successful in its primary indication. They like ones that failed and were dangerous. It's mutagenic, Molnipiravir. It makes the virus worse. It makes it mutate. Causes cancer and birth defects. The Pfizer drug seemingly is not as on the surface dangerous because it's more of a copy off of ivermectin but anything, but following their pattern, there's nothing they produce that won't kill us. But it's given together with a repurposed AIDS drug that starts with an R. I, I for Radisvir or something. I don't have it in front of me. And that absolutely, like all the AIDS drugs, is dangerous. It all comes together. Dangerous drugs, dangerous vaccines that not only don't work, but cause side effects and make the virus worse and perpetuate a need for the next phase same year that within two weeks Bill Gates announces smallpox bioterrorism is a concern and they discover vials at Merck's lab folks open your eyes open your hearts demand every state legislature conduct Endless hearings every day of the week on this. See, typically, our, you you first have an ailment and then you have a cure. But here, they have the cure that they produced before the ailment because the ailment is, in fact, the cure. The illness is not the pathogen. That's the cure. The illness is our freedom. And they have to cure that with a pathogen to use to submit, to kill us, and make us fearful and submissive, 
And then the cures to their cure need to be equally as dangerous because why would you want to solve the problem? See, if we're just money, then yeah. So then we just make money and on to the next thing and it works. It's a lot about a lot more than just money. And I think you guys see that. We're over time now. There's so much stuff I didn't get to. We'll, we're going to have a special guest tomorrow again. But bookmark this show. Send it to everyone you know. Look up as I'm talking. Google the words I'm using and the dates and references and authors. You should easily be able to find the source material. Again, send me your comments, questions, concerns to dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Go to setincells.com. Uh, promo code Daniel to get your ivermectin and nidazoxanide. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.